Brody's Midnight Cafe. Well, hey there. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> this is the first episode we've recorded where it's we're going to finish and it's going to be past midnight. That's right. Which late is late night. Late night. The midnight cafe here. It's actually the midnight in its cafe. Truest form. Oh, in its purest form. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm Liz. I'm Taylor. And like we said, you're listening to Brody's Midnight Cafe, episode 11. Whoa. Whoa. This many. Double digits plus one. <laughs> I was going to say, we're already double digits. Yeah, I know, but officially. Mm-hmm. Plus one. Plus one. 11's a lucky number, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, do you have a lucky number? Um, I don't think I personally have a lucky number. Like, there's nothing that's been in my life where I'm like, yeah, that's my lucky number. But, oh, really? Like, I don't know. I guess you, you just like subconsciously see sevens and like 13s yeah. everywhere. So probably, I don't know, one of those. Yeah, I think seven or 13 is probably my lucky one. 13 mm-hmm. gets a bad rep. Actually, there's a lot of like supernatural lore around why some people think that really? 13 is unlucky. Yeah, maybe I'll cover it in an episode or something. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Because I always thought that it was lucky, but oh, maybe, no. I'm, maybe I'm way off. No, okay. some hotels, they don't even list a 13th floor. They just go straight from 12 to 14, Whoa. which I mean, it's still the 13th floor, but they just put the button as 14 and label all the rooms as 14. So <laughs> interesting. Yeah, because people wouldn't book those rooms or they'd ask to be moved out if it was a 13. How about that? I know some people are super superstitious. Um, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Me too, Michael Scott. <laughs> no, I remember Rachel and I... This must have been like our fourth date and I made that joke of like, oh yeah, super superstitious. And she and I for some <laughs> reason thought it was so funny. We couldn't stop laughing for like 20 minutes. Um mm-hmm. what was I gonna say though? Um oh my grandma was super or not my grandma, my great grandmother apparently was really superstitious. Mm-hmm. So she believed in all of those like little things that you had to do. I think she may have had O C D. I feel like a lot of old like I don't know, just old people in general are like superstitious and like have weird beliefs like that. I don't know. No, I think so. And I think it gets drilled into you, you know, when there's no explanation for thunderstorms or (laughs) stuff like that. You're like, oh gosh, it's because I walked under that ladder. Yeah, that's right. All those months ago. All those months ago. It's finally coming back to haunt me. Man, I I broke that mirror and now it's seven years of bad luck. (laughs) But what's new with you? Like what's going on in your life? Um... I don't know, not too much. Um, yeah, we. Uh, what did I do? I, I did some yard work. Tried to cut down a tree. And oh, I God. failed miserably at that. Well, okay. To be fair, the tree was wonky. So yeah, it was the tree's fault. It for was sure. the tree's fault. It wasn't <laughs> our fault. No, you know most trees go straight up. This one went straight up and then leaned one way, not like severely, but like just enough. And mm-hmm. I tried to cut it down the opposite way because yeah. I didn't want it to fall on the fence. So it was like leaning over a fence into a yard that we don't know. And I tried to cut it the opposite way. And, uh, and well, yeah, we know obviously whose it yard it is, disaster. but it's no, not it wasn't, ours. Honestly, I don't know because like, okay, oh, is it like it's no not, man's land. Yeah, it's not our neighbor's yard immediately next to us. And when I drove outside of the neighborhood, like they have a different fence. So I don't know. I think it might just be no man's land. So crazy. Okay. That's right. Well, anyways, yeah, I tried to cut that down, failed miserably, got the chainsaw stuck um, underneath there, had to hammer it out. Um, So we need a new bar for the chainsaw, Mm -hmm. which um, I don't don't know. When I looked on Home Depot, I couldn't find one, but 
I'm sure we can find one if we go in person and say, listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just couldn't find the exact brand. But, Got it, okay. But I, I saw plenty of like, you know, 18-inch chainsaw bars. So yeah, we just have yeah, to I'm talk sure. to an expert and make sure it's compatible. Compatible. Um, But yeah, tree finally did fall, though. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the direction we were hoping. Yeah, not in the direction we're hoping. It is leaning up against another tree, though. So it's not like it collapsed on our fence or anything or broke anything. So. Mm-hmm. Um, a win is a win. Yeah, that was a success. Yeah. Um, got some bad poison ivy in the process. It's oh, still yeah. Still on my right leg here. Oof, yeah. It actually looks gross, um, a little yellowy, but I'm sure it's nothing. Yeah. We'll just put calamine lotion on it and yeah. hydrocortisone cream. Calamino. Calamino. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. So, well, yeah, that was pretty much it. Just me failing on a tree and, you know then, what? and then going back to I work. I know. <laughs> and then getting, like, you know, screwed over with poison ivy again. That's right. Yet again. I feel like I've heard the more you get exposed to it, the worse your reaction gets. And Is you, that right? Yeah, and you and I have been exposed quite a lot over the last nine months. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard some people don't get a reaction from it. Bitches. Bitches. I'd say we they're superior. You. No, Let's we swap hate them. legs with them. I hate them, um, <laughs> and it's not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely not fair, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But so yeah. yeah. So what's up with you, huh? Let's oh gosh. It. Well, I had a fun weekend. I mean, we did. We went to a murder mystery night. A lot of fun. We um I went to go see Barbie and Oppenheimer to Still do Still haven't seen either, yeah. To do a, a Barbie Heimer. I really think <laughs> that you would like Oppenheimer. Um Oh, I know I would. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you love Christopher Nolan and I I really liked it. And I thought Barbie was pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. Um and you, I think I it was. You said you were disappointed when you first I was, came out. I was. I was. Mm-hmm. I think it was overhyped, and I mean, it was good, but it wasn't like dress up good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it was so funny when um when like uh I, I didn't realize I knew you were going to see Barbie, but I didn't mm-hmm. know you were going to see Oppenheimer. And then like I brought it up in front of like Ashley, and I think she was like, "This is like a cultural like I don't even know what she said. It was like cultural phenomenon of like our lifetime or something like that." And I mean, to be fair, we had a ton of fun, and uh-huh. it was it was I didn't dress up as much. I was dead tired that morning. Like mm. I think the night oh because the night before I got dehydrated and had yeah, to like yeah we were at that party yeah the night before we went to a party the night before I got so dehydrated that I woke up the next morning feeling like death. And I was like, you know what? I still have to go. So I went and I actually had a really great time, but I didn't mm-hmm. look nearly as like dressed up or spiffy as the girls I went with. Um, and then, yeah, I went tubing with some people on Sunday and that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, not nice. tubing, whitewater rafting. Same thing. You were in a tube, right? I was in a massive tube mm-hmm. with um, a little oar instead <laughs> of just mindlessly tubing. Yeah, instead so. of the lazy river tube. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's my life. And then... Mm-hmm. This next week, I'm maybe going to a Taylor Swift dance party, mm-hmm. which should be a lot of fun. Um, and then you have your draft this weekend. I have my draft order challenge. The oh, draft is not going to be it, for another it. few weeks, probably. Got it. But okay. Yeah, now we do we do our challenge. That way everyone can find out what spot they're going to pick from, mm-hmm. and then we'll do the draft. So, yeah. So tell, do you want to tell everybody about your your system? <laughs> I can. It's a good yeah. system. Okay. So, so this, um, all right. So, the draft order challenge, this is called the 2468 challenge. Um, it's basically just a little spoof off of the 612 1824 challenge, which mm-hmm. you can look up if you want to. I'm not going to go into details on it because it might be a little vulgar. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, 2468 challenge. So, basically, in this challenge, you do um, certain tasks and you assign like a number to them and the number of times you have to do them. And you have to do it as fast as possible. So 
if you so basically the tasks that we have are going to be uh, eat hot dogs drink carbonated beverages aka like soda or beer um, walk laps slash run laps around a high school uh, like field track and field mm-hmm. um, or Except and then in our neighborhood not yeah at a... well but it's I measured the right distance yeah um, and the last one is Sudoku's so for instance you could do like you could eat two hot dogs but then you'd have to drink four beers do six Sudoku's and then run eight laps or if you can't run laps you can do two laps you can do four Sudoku's and then eat a bunch of hot dogs drink a bunch of beers so basically there's a lot of strategy that goes into actually thinking of your plan mm-hmm. when you're going to do everything um thinking about how you're going to eat hot dogs and then you know move multiple laps or like how many you can do and then there's the mental aspect of doing sudokus the entire time right too, so. and it's like if you have enough beers you're going to suck at the sudoku mm-hmm. um, exactly yeah have enough hot dogs you will not be able to walk or run those laps that's right and there are penalties if you uh don't have if everything down or if you stuff throw up before yeah oh, you finish gosh. the challenge okay so, um, so yucky so yeah. i'm so glad i have plans that day honestly i don't <laughs> want to see plans? that we need a judge you want to meet a judge well you can you know okay i'll stay and judge yeah. i don't trust anyone oh yeah. okay all right we'll see because <laughs> people i'm sure are going to try to cut corners I've, I've pretty much made it a, a cheat proof system but um, i'm not going to give my strategy or anything but mm-hmm. there, there will not be a way for people to you know cheat yeah exactly <laughs> to okay. cut corners or anything okay we'll see i think i mm-hmm. think i may have plans but i can rearrange them if i'm really needed <laughs> potentially S- potentially mm-hmm. okay cool well so what are we drinking tonight all right so drinks these are going to tie more into my topic but oh basically we just have a classic margarita and we have a classic old-fashioned i love so, it Nothing, uh, nothing too exciting here. Um, I'll go more in depth on um, the reason why I chose these a little later. Because I believe your you're going to go first. This yeah, time. I think I am going first this mm-hmm. time. Um, but yeah, just a, a nice little marg and, and an old fashioned. Probably the two most popular drinks in the world. So, wow. So yeah, if you want to do um, a little cheers, you yeah, don't let's have to do drink. It. Yeah. But... No, let's do a little. I I've been having a little upset tum tum. Um, mm. So I'll, I'm probably going to sip a little bit, but yeah. Have a sip of the marg. I'll do the old fashioned because I think you'd hate it the other way. Oh, please. I would not be doing it the other way. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Tasty. Not bad. Love a classic marg. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I told you a little bit before, but I am changing courses a little bit this week. Um, we've done a lot of supernatural stuff mm-hmm. over the past few weeks. Oh, hold on. I need water. So we're switching gears and I'm doing true crime this week for us. Yes. um, But it's not what you think, right? I tend to steer away from murders or assaults and stuff like that. Those are great. Well, I don't, I don't like to cover them. And so, (laughs) so I am going to be talking about um, something a little bit more organized today, right? We've had one episode about an organized crime. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when we talked about the maple syrup. Um, yeah, <laughs> the great maple syrup heist. The great maple syrup heist. <laughs> but today we're going to be talking about something not quite as jovial. Um, basically, we're going to be spending some time talking about fast fashion and human rights abuses. Ooh, okay. Some mm-hmm. serious topics It here. is a serious topic, yeah. Um, mm. But I'm, I'm bringing in a little bit of psychology to it um, towards the end. So I think that's going to be interesting. Sure. Um, and, you know... When so when we talk about true crime, right? Like I said, I've done a couple of episodes on it, but we really 
it's interesting, these things we get like inundated with in the media, sometimes we get kind of numb to, right? So it can be good to revisit and say, okay, why is this something that's been in media attention for so many years, right? Mm -hmm. um, and also thinking about why haven't there been any significant changes, right? Why is it still such a consistent issue? So, so you know, it isn't new um, that you know, clothing companies take advantage of workers, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the 1990s, companies like Gap and Nike were actually protested. Um, and at the time, um, sweatshops and forced labor received like a ton of attention um, in the news and media outlets. Um, and a little bit of prog progress was made, right? Some things were instituted, but not for long. Um, so are you familiar with the term fast fashion? Um, I think so, but if you want to go ahead and uh, break it down for the readers... Sure. So it's defined as the practice of producing extremely inexpensive products that are on trend on a massive level. So basically the idea is that you are making these inexpensive products and you're trying to sell like way more to the average consumer than they would normally buy because it's so cheap as your way of making profit. Right. Mm. Um, so some companies that engage in fast fashion are Zara, Forever 21, H&M, Nasty Gal, Shein, Urban Outfitters and Abercrombie and Fitch. Those are some well-known companies that engage Ooh, you with. You love Urban Outfitters. Yeah, I know. I honestly, I was like looking at some of these, you know, because you think, okay, Sheen, definitely, but like way more companies engage in fast fashion than mm -hmm. we like really think because they've got these pretty storefronts, right? Like, I love Urban Outfitters. I love Aerie, but like, apparently, they have engaged in fast fashion, like you know, stuff in the past, and we'll get into it more. But really it's hard to tell which companies are engaging in forced labor because of um, supply chain, basically using that as like an ambiguity system to not take responsibility. Mm -hmm. So um, one company Gap has been having issues literally since the 90s. So in 1995, Gap was criticized for its use of sweatshops and it promised mm -hmm, to have an independent organization do routine checks. But five years later in 2000, a news story broke that children were being put into labor to make clothes that were then sold at Gap um, in sweatshops, right? And then you guessed it again, seven years after that in 2007, kids in India were being forced into labor uh, embroidering shirts for Gap kids which I don't know, kind of kind of messed up. They're making clothes for other kids and not being paid for it. Will they get to take some shirts home or? I don't think so. <laughs> Unfortunately not. Picture, man, you're like, damn, this is a nice shirt. <laughs> Too bad I can't afford it. Um, and so Gap said that it's contractors, right? These places that they sent out for these clothes mm -hmm. to be made, made at needed to make changes. But then in 2010, a fire broke out in another shop that they had clothes from that ended up killing nine workers and was providing clothes to the Gap. And then they got caught again in 2013 and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And so there's no accountability, right? And like really the most they get is like a slap on the wrist. Um, and it's been an issue since before the two of us were born. Really like fast fashion started up in like the 80s, um, you know, with more widely available, you know, media showing different fashion styles. And basically it came as a way for like, you know, middle-class, lower middle-class people to be able to keep up with trends, which really wasn't, you know, an option for them as much in the past. Um, so I feel like the attitude around fast fashion has really shifted within the past few years, especially since like the advent of TikTok, right? Have you ever seen any of those, um, those halls where people buy like literally so much money from 
of worth of clothes from these like fast fashion places and try on probably 50 outfits in one video. I have not. So that's a TikTok thing. Yeah, it's like yeah, a YouTube. We're in different circles of the internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I think it's also marketed more towards women than it is mm, men. But for sure. Yeah. Like, so fast fashion's really come into the news significantly again over the last few years for environmental impacts, right? So mm-hmm. almost 100 million tons of clothing are trashed every year, um, which is basically equates to the size of 500 of those cargo transport ships. So just in a year. Every year. Every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, what I really want to focus on today are like the human rights abuses um, that have exploded over the last few years under fast fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big company that I want to talk about is Shein. Have you heard of it before? I don't think so. I might uh, Yeah, Google do a quick Google. Quick. Yeah. While you're you're going to be able to tell like the second you Google it, like the quality and type of clothes. Um, I'm going to look it up too. So... You know, basically anything you buy from Shein, um, TikTok and Gen Z have gone crazy for Shein. Um, There are huge concerns for the environment, but especially for human rights. And like I said, they market mostly towards young women um, as customers. And at any time, there are around 600,000 products in stock, you know, that they're able to put out. And prices range from $6 to $30 for all of their products. Interesting. Yeah. Um, All I see is a lot of bikini pics over here, Liz. What'd you What'd you get me on? <laughs> I, you know what? And I've actually ordered from this company in the past, um, which is, you know, I I say this, and I don't want to shame anyone for their choices, but I think it's good to talk about and you know talk about like why people continue to support these organizations. That's the like psychology that I want to get into too. Okay. Um, Okay, so like I said, um, so Shein has over 22 million um, shoppers, right, and made over $10 billion in revenue last year. Nuts. 10 billion, geez. Yes. Um, But, you know, these magically low prices don't just come out of thin air, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The only way they're able to make that money is by not paying or underpaying workers Mm -hmm. and engaging in practices that are commonly referred to as modern-day slavery. So... Um, Shein does not have openly have child labor, but their workers are not, you know, in most of the countries where these products are made a part of the social welfare system. And those workers, you know, as a result, don't have any rights or guarantees, right? There's no system that support these undocumented workers. Um, you know, in addition, uh, the working conditions are, are horrible in these fast fashion places, right? So the textile industry is one of the most labor intensive industries in the world and it employs more than 60 million people worldwide right which for reference are about the size of um, the populations of florida and california put together so absolutely crazy you know and you don't think about it like where our clothes come from right sometimes Mm -hmm. it just feels like they just appear but it's interesting everything we we make you know i think in my head i thought oh most clothes are just made by machines but that's not the case most Mm -hmm. clothes are made by like a person um Okay, so um, so generally most companies outsource their labor to developing countries, right? So only 2% of the clothes that are consumed in the United States are made in the United States. Um, you know, the idea being that it reduces production costs and provides jobs in these countries. But um, this has big impacts on workers' rights in countries like China, India, Cambodia, and Bangladesh, Um, The factories there are really not regulated and generally there is no minimum wage in these countries and no safety regulations, right? So in fact, 
the workers in these factories in developing countries make 2% only, oh my gosh, wait, of these workers in these factories, only 2% would be considered to be making a living wage, you know, for full-time work or more than full-time work. For where they live or like in the U.S.? For where they live. Okay. Yeah. Um, so because the supply chains are really complex in the industry, it's hard to determine whether or not these companies are actually engaging in forced unpaid labor, child labor, or other exploitative working conditions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because uh, the companies aren't publishing where they get their products from most of the time, or they're being really vague or unclear about it. Um, so there's a lack of accountability, right, that these companies are held to. Um, of where the products are getting because you know basically every time one of these scandals comes out they say oh we weren't aware of the working conditions of these factories that we're outsourcing to and using it as sort of a cop-out um so um right so the issue is that these you know huge brands can offload that responsibility like i said so to give an example walmart had a recent scandal uh with its clothing um where they sent their order to an approved factory, right, that had been cleared by, um, you know, uh, workers' rights organizations, but that company had outsourced to a sweatshop, right? Mm. And so it was sort of like they used that middleman as justification, right, but they were still keeping their bottom line mm-hmm. where they wanted it to be for the cost of clothing. Um, you know, and this factory that they had outsourced to was not up to code and it resulted in a building collapse that ended up killing 112 people. Oof. Yeah, really not good. Um, but I'm sure Walmart had no idea. Walmart had no idea it was happening, which... Mm, a shame. I can't believe I bought that fedora from them the other I know, week. I can't believe it. <laughs> um, so basically... Um, you know, these brands can offload responsibility onto the suppliers and instead of being held accountable, they can say, oh, it's a problem we didn't know existed and we'll make efforts to fix. Um, and basically every time they get off with a slap on the wrist, um, you know, it's just, it's super unfortunate. Um, you know, and when when we think of human trafficking, I think the main thing that comes to mind is like the movie Taken, mm-hmm. right? Um, we think of travelers or young girls who are kidnapped and sold for sex. However, that's really what a sm- only a small percentage of what human trafficking is. Actually, it's quite small. Um, you know, I mean, most people who are trafficked into sex work are trafficked by boyfriends or relatives. Um, and a lot of what human trafficking is is actually unpaid labor. Um, um, so many workers are undocumented immigrants making them more vulnerable to, you know, those schemes, right, and afraid to speak out. Um, And the International Labor Organization estimated that in 2021, over 25 million people were trapped in in forced labor, including over 4 million children. Um, And I have a passage I want to read to you from um, the speech that a woman gave who is our age, uh, Nazarene Sheik. Um, who's a survivor of child labor in the fast fashion industry and tells her story of how she was trafficked into child labor after she ran away from home to avoid being married off as a child. Um, Okay, so my little fingers were as fast as a machine because I knew that in order to get a bit of rest, I needed to be fast. And that is when I felt like I just wasn't human. I felt just like a machine and just hated those clothes They were woven with the energy of my suffering. Many times when I was in the sweatshop, I would collapse onto the large quantities of clothes I was making because I didn't even have a bed. And I would just daydream. 
where are these clothes going to? Who's going to wear them? And I started to talk to the shirt or clothes I was wearing. And I would say, whoever wears this clothes, I hope you can feel me. I hope you can feel my tears, feel my blood. Because as a young child, I just wanted to go to sleep and it wasn't possible. And I tell people that like whoever is wearing these clothes, and you could be wearing these clothes right now, I hope you know that you are consuming suffering. Oof. Oof. Is uh, Nike ever been guilty of these? Uh... Yes. Liz, why'd you buy me this shirt? I it know. It is a shame shirt. A shame. Well, and that's, so we're going to get into that, right? You know, and I'm, we're not immune from this, you and me, you know, and most, almost every person who lives in the United States isn't immune from this, you know, and I, I don't want to make people feel bad, but like, I feel like at this point, everyone is aware what of these conditions, right? And this system, whether they want to face it or not, you know, and I want to talk about a couple of social psychology concepts that could help to explain why so many of us may be complicit in these abuses, you know, by buying from these corporations, um, you know, and we have patterns in times where everyone gets up in arms about this issue, right? And then months later, you know, things die down, right? For example, we had the 2013 Rana Plaza sweatshop collapse in Bangladesh that killed 1,100 people. And there were significant efforts to pass, you know, an accord on factory and building safety in Bangladesh, which would have improved, you know, the symptoms, but it fell out of the news pretty quickly. And actually, like, 17 popular American clothing brands refused to sign the agreement. So um, I know I said when we first started recording this podcast that like I wasn't going to get into psychology stuff, but honestly, social psychology was like my favorite class in undergrad. Um, And a lot of what we're talking about today, like systemic issues goes into social psychology. Mm -hmm. Um, So shout out to Dr. Smith at University of North Georgia for being the coolest that's um, me, Dr. Smith. Um, no, that was Dr. Steve. Oh. Sorry. Oh, okay. Steve Smith. S- Steve Smith. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Great wide receiver for the Carolina Panthers. I, I think they may be two different people. I don't know. Was, I mean, uh, they could be. He's pretty smart on the field. Really? <laughs> Did he have a doctorate in social psychology? He had a doctorate in route running. Okay. Well, I think they may be not the same person, but they could be. I'll ask him next time I talk Please to him. Um, so there are a couple of things I would like i think may contribute right to this mindset of complicity mm-hmm. um so the first is a cognitive fallacy called compassion fade right and it's the tendency to experience a decrease in empathy as the number of people in need increase you know um most common explanation for compassion fatigue is the use of a mental shortcut called the affect heuristic that causes people to make decisions based on emotional attachments to a stimulus, which is why we care a lot more about one person's story rather than millions of stories. You know, and it's interesting. I myself was really touched by this issue when, you know, that that passage I read to you a couple of years ago, I came across that and I, I was really touched by it and just this fact of this individual person and it humanizes it, right? Rather than these vague people that we don't see in Bangladesh and India, it's people just like you and me, you know? And so, you know, I think of like baby Jessica who fell in the well and there were like these worldwide efforts to get her out, you know, or um, Kaylee Anthony, for example, you know, those those instances rather than, you know, these mass events that happen, right? They sort of merge together. Um, 
So that's one ex explanation, which is a cognitive fallacy. The other explanation is kind of interesting. Um, have you ever heard of cognitive dissonance before? Yes. Yeah, so um, basically it's the discomfort a person feels when their behavior does not align with their values or beliefs. Um, and it's very uncomfortable, right? Um, it can lead to feelings of guilt, which I always say in our group sessions uh, at my work um, is actually really healthy and productive emotion. Um, but it's very uncomfortable, right? It lets us know when we've done something that misaligns with our values. Um, and so to avoid this discomfort, people may engage in three main coping skills, which are sort of offshoots of cognitive dissonance. So the first is avoiding, right? The person may avoid situations that remind them of it, um, you know, discourage people from talking about it or distract themselves from it with other consuming tasks. Um, you know, and with fast fashion, what this might look like is avoiding news stories that talk about working conditions, um, you know, minimizing it, saying it's not a big deal. Um, so the second coping skill is delegitimizing, it, which involves undermining evidence of the dissonance. A person may do this by discrediting the person, group, or situations that heighten the dissonance. For example, they may say the evidence is um, untrustworthy or biased. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Nothing. I don't want to give my thoughts. <laughs> you don't want to give your thoughts on it? <laughs> no, this sounds like me. Anytime I feel like I'm wrong and, or I'm like, like losing an argument, I'm like, well, let's debunk this theory. Well, let's you got debunk here. Let's, it. Where'd you get your evidence, huh, Chief? Huh? <laughs> let's tear oh, did this you down. see that on TikTok? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do say that a lot. <laughs> so, but you're not alone in that, um, you know, in their defense mechanisms. Um, and so the last is limiting impact so this involves limiting the discomfort of cognitive dissonance by belittling its importance so a person may do this by claiming that the behavior is a rare or one-off event or providing rational arguments arguments to convince themselves and others that the behavior is okay and i feel like with fast fashion this is what i see the most right when we see people talking about it um you know, and some of the arguments that I see for it are, well, are things like, well, I'm not rich enough to be able to afford clothing from like more expensive brands. Like this is all I can afford if I want to keep up with styles or, you know, at least I'm not doing those haul videos, right? I'm not buying, I'm only buying a, like three items. I'm not getting a 400 items at once, you know, or well, those people won't have jobs if I stop buying their products. If we all stop buying their products, these people won't have jobs anymore, right? So they're using arguments that may be based in a grain of truth, right? To justify behavior that misaligns with their values. Um, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, obviously I don't see other people's, I can't, I can't read their minds, but, um, I'm sure a lot of people do, you know, minimize all that stuff and yeah and just don't think about it probably i'd say probably ignoring it is what most people do i feel like the sound of it yeah i feel like the avoiding is what i've done in the past mm -hmm. like trying not to think about it or thinking you know oh well you know we can't we can't be responsible for every product we buy or you know i'm sure anything i buy is going to have some sort of sketchy thing along their production you know but mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so most people don't think about stuff like that yeah I don't know. you know like me personally i just you know in my mind most of the time i'm just like staying in my lane you know i'm just trying yeah. to figure out like okay what i'm doing you know mm -hmm. at work and with my life and all this other stuff so right. i don't think about like okay when i you know buy this t-shirt who's it affecting or you know yeah or really just anything you know not even bringing it to textiles like 
I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, like I. If I want to cut in front of this guy in traffic, like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like, oh well. It's just I'm just one car, but maybe I set off a little butterfly effect, Ooh. ruin his day. Think about that. Think about that. What if he's Cognitive the guy? Dissonance. Yeah. What if he's the guy with the nuclear football, Taylor? <laughs> nuclear football. <laughs> yeah, you know what that is, right? It's the What's a nuclear it's the, football. You don't know what the nuclear football is. It's the guy. Thing? No, babe, it's the guy with the president who holds the little suitcase of nukes for him, like the little switch codes and stuff, so that you know he has to ask him before he like sets off nukes or anything. <laughs> I don't know. It would have been a good joke if you knew it, but yeah, you didn't I'm know sorry. it. Whatever. It's okay. Um, no, but I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's the same thing with me. Like, I feel like I feel like I have so much going on that I have a hard time like dealing with, you know, I feel like if you, there's only so much, it feels sometimes like there's only so much mental energy or compassion I can give, but I have some ideas as to like how we can address this, like you and me, but also like people in general, like little steps you can take um, to to try to make a difference. Um, you know, because these are real people that this is impacting, you know, and um, it actually reminds me of this poem that was actually written by an abolitionist, William Cowper in the 1800s, you know, basically describing the viewpoint held by many people in the United States outside of the United States when it came to the topic of slave, slave labor. Um, at, you know, at the time, it, it was called Pity for Poor Africans, and it targeted uh, the attitudes of middle-class people, especially middle-class housewives, which is interesting to me because today the primary consumers of fast fashion are, are mostly women. Um, and this is a p- small passage from that poem. Um, I own I am shocked at the purchase of slaves and fear those who buy them and sell them are knaves. What I hear of their hardships, their tortures, their groans, it is almost enough to draw pity from stones. I pity them greatly, but I must be mum, for how could we do without sugar and rum? Especially sugar, so needful we see. What, give up our desserts, our coffee and tea? Hmm. Mm. yeah and i you know you think about it and i think that it's the attitude that a lot of people have about it today that they feel like their impact it doesn't make a difference um but it does right um especially people who are buying like vast quantities of this stuff um you know and i think it's it makes sense that you that helplessness is a feeling that people experience when it comes to fast fashion and the fashion industry in general um you know, and like I said, I don't want to come off as judgmental because I still, you know, struggle with consumerism, you know, and buying products and not thinking about where they come from. And, you know, for me, it's been like an ongoing thing that I've wanted to try to address. Um, and I didn't realize how many stores, you know, at first I think I thought it was just like these, these online stores like Princess Polly and Shein and, um, you know, Nasty Gal and stuff like that. But it's, it's honestly like a ton of clothing brands that we we um we like you know and it sucked i was looking at this database that i'm going to talk about in a minute and i was searching up like all my favorite brands and i was like how are all of these on here like where am i going to get my products and stuff but you know i think i think it's important to take that first step and so i have some ideas as to how people can make some little changes um you know take it as you will take it with a grain of salt these are my opinions um more than anything but um So I think one thing you can do is like start to confront that cognitive dissonance, right? 
and learn to lean into the guilt a little bit. You know, because like, like we know, it's all emotions have their purpose, right? Every emotion is there for a reason. And likely guilt is letting you know that you're doing something that doesn't align with your values, right? You know, guilt lets us know that we are good people um, because we have these values that we want to stand by. And so I would say, you know, try to see these individuals as real people, right? Try not to see it just as a vague, far off issue. Um, You know, and also like think more mindfully about your consumption, right? We generally don't need nearly as many products as the world tells us we do. And it can be hard not to compare ourselves like to others and think, oh my God, I'm going to be, I'm going to look like a loser if I don't have like these newest styles and stuff. But you really won't, you know, also, you know, look to buy quality over quantity. Tay, this is something you've mentioned like a lot, like that it makes so much more sense to buy less and buy better quality stuff than to buy more stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and buy from vetted organizations, right? So there's this awesome website that I'm going to include in the episode description. Um, it's called Good On You, but basically it's a search database that um, looks at the impact that companies have on the environment, um, on their workers, and on animals, um, you know, basically welfare for all three. Um, and it's a great place to like start looking, you know, you can even search up some of the brands you like and see they have a rating system. It's a smiley face system of like big smiley face to big brownie face. And so, um, you can get an idea and they also have brands that are like similar styles to brands you search up, but that come from more, um, vetted companies that don't abuse their workers. Who vets this website? Let me look it up. Hold on. We, We need a website vetter for these websites. I know. Because who owns this website, you know? Who's uh, who's paying to say what websites are good? And... You know what? That's a good idea. I didn't think about that. Let me look at that. Hold on. About. There about section. About us. Hold on. Um, I think they're backed by the United Nations. Questionable. Questionable. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, who knows? I is mean, Walmart a part of the United Nations, huh? Is Walmart Let, its own nation it. now? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I just, I wanted to cover this because technically it does cover, it does fall into um, true crime. Mm-hmm. And also it's like an issue I've been trying to be a little bit more proactive about because um, you and I are in our savings era. Um, we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've I've been not buying anything like as much. But I don't know. Um, I just think it's a cool topic. For sure. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, and yeah, and I will do my best when I don't purchase a lot of stuff. But when I do, I will check it out. Cool. Go to the United Nations website. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> what if I pulled that up and it was like, backed by, backed by Target. <laughs> <laughs> backed by Nike. Backed by Nike. Well, yes. Um, powerful stuff. Thank you, Elizabeth. You are welcome. <laughs> um, so now for my topic. Here okay. we go. So um, as we were talking about, uh, we did go to that really fun murder mystery um, kind of yeah. night and stuff, um, which we we basically uh, like chose characters and um, we like read our script and someone was randomly assigned as the murderer. And so we had to, you know, listen to their to their story and like kind of just 
try to listen out uh, to who sounded more guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of challenging. Uh, Lexi really kicked our asses. Yeah, but um, it was she was also like just reading off the script. So I feel like maybe um, everyone was a little tipsy because we were having drinks and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and maybe not all of us were paying attention as well. So, um, yeah, it was a little bit of a challenge. But, yeah, no, she got us, uh, and she got away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a lot of fun, and uh, it kind of reminded me um, back of when I first moved out of my parents' house and, like, into my first apartment, and uh, I was really trying to, like, kind of hone my craft as a bartender, and I would just have over a bunch of friends, and I would just, you know, we'd play games, we'd hang out, and, you know, mm-hmm. just yeah, make I cocktails. Remember. Yeah, you remember, you were at a few of those yeah, things. Yeah, I was. Um, but, it was like right before we started dating. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would just, you know, make some drinks, have like little cocktail parties and um, and just try to, you know, practice bartending and stuff. And uh, and it was a lot of fun. You know, I'd make like little themed menus and I'd name the drinks and, um, you know, just try to practice different combinations of flavors and like building menus and see what people, you know, like best and what they respond to best. Um, but the one downside from doing that, um, was not only, you know, how much money it cost me because I didn't really, you know, charge any of my friends for alcohol. Um, yeah, cause you're a sweetheart. Oh, thanks baby. Um, but yeah, so I would just make, you know, drinks for fun and, uh, and all that. And, um, yeah, obviously a lot of waste going on there, but, um, obviously like we'd be playing, you know, drinking games or, you know, poker or board games and I'd have to constantly get up and make drinks for people. And, uh, you know, I would miss out on the action or, yeah, like, you know, I know. fun jokes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was probably the main downside. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I was, I justified it to myself, like, oh, I was, you know, practicing, you know, bartending. Like, I was, I was doing it, like, casually, you know, prior to that. But, like, I really wanted to get more into it. And I could see it. And I saw it, like, as a career path. Obviously, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, two Five years. years. Oh. Well, I've been, like, since then, I've been doing it for, like, two Got years. It. And, yeah. Um, significantly better at it at least i think so but um yeah you're you're really good at it thanks sweetheart um but yeah so yeah prior to that i was still you know making drinks and having fun with it but i wasn't like really being serious and like i didn't Mm -hmm. invest my own time and stuff but anyways um i think it would have been a lot smarter if i had you know batched out drinks um that still tasted good but that anyone could kind of just you know get up and make at their own leisure um but to me, like, I'd always kind of considered that, but um, for me, it's it was kind of hard to hit that equilibrium of, like, making a great drink mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, also super easy to execute um, because, I don't know, I don't want to, like, just, you know, leave a bottle of wine on the counter and say, yeah, we're having, you know, a drinking game night. Like, I just, I don't know, I don't feel like that's fun, you know? Um, so if yeah. I'm going to make a drink, like, I want to make sure that's a, a good drink that people enjoy um but also that's easy to make so that's kind of what i'm bringing to the table today okay gonna give i love you, it you know three solid you know cocktail options that you can batch really easily um that will also you know satisfy everyone at the crowd so first up classic old-fashioned here um which is what i'm drinking at the moment um you're not a big old-fashioned person but you know anyone that does like whiskey you know whether it be the guys or the girls or just anyone that prefers their yeah. dark liquor and mm-hmm. stuff, um, this would be a great option. Um, so uh, my secret, which, you know, really isn't a secret, is that I use a brown sugar syrup in my old fashions. So um, that's going to be a uh, two-part brown sugar by one-part water ratio. And uh, you do that by weight, so you need a digital scale for it. But I don't know. It's pretty close if you just do cups or whatever. 
But usually I like, you know, boil the water and mm-hmm. then add the sugar and just whisk it really hard. Or you can honestly just put everything into a blender and then just put it on high and uh, it'll dissolve the sugar just with the speed of the blender on its own. Um, but anyways, uh, so yeah, my regular recipe is like, you know, two ounces of a solid bourbon, like, you know, Elijah Craig or something. I used Michter's in this one, which is a little better than a good bourbon, but um, it was the very end of a bottle and I wanted to get yeah. rid of it. Um, and then I would use a quarter ounce of brown sugar and then two dashes of Angostura bitters and one dash of orange bitters, which uh, I homemade myself. <laughs> but you can always just buy them at the store. Not everyone's <laughs> as artisanal as you. They are not. Um, really, I just ripped off a recipe from uh, this book that my dad bought me when I think I was like, how old was I? I think I was like 21 or 22. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember... I remember, I don't remember him actually even giving it to me, but um, I was supposed to come home from like college on like a Friday or something. And I came home on like a Sunday instead, but my dad was expecting me on Friday and he bought me the book. And so my mom said, Hey, yeah, uh, dad bought you this. Um, he was really upset that uh, you weren't here on Friday. He's like, well, I've got this for him. And he threw the book across the room. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, yeah, poor he was disappointed. Tay. Yeah, poor Tay. No, poor, poor Foster. Yeah, poor Foster. <laughs> he just wanted to hang out with his dude and That's you didn't right. come home. <laughs> oh, what a shame. Um, yeah, I think I was chilling in the in the dorms or something. Mm. But anyways, yeah, it was just this book um, called Bitters, I think by the last name Pearson or something. But yeah, I've used that book so, so, so many times for different recipes and stuff and it's been a lot of fun um but anyways yeah so uh, one dash of orange bitters so um usually i prep for like 12 drinks because if you're doing multiple like you know i don't know depending on how many people you have over they're gonna have like i guess like one and a half drinks per person of each type that you're doing so um i don't know 12 drinks is usually safe so that would be three cups of bourbon which is basically a little less than one 750 milliliter bottle then you do three ounces of brown sugar and then 24 dashes of the Angostura bitters and then 12 dashes of orange bitters. So best way I would serve this to a crowd is to throw everything in either like a big container with a spout on it or something. Or um, this is how we do it at work. We actually just batch it up in a Cambro in like, you know, just a big container and then we pour it back into the bottle. Nice. That okay. way you can throw a pour spout on it, and it's basically just an old-fashioned that's ready. So you just pour it straight out of the bottle like that. So that's probably my preferred way to do it because you can, you know, put that bottle in the fridge or in the freezer, and it won't freeze or anything because it's over 30% alcohol, and um, and it can just chill there. And then, you know, you have, like, a cold, frozen, old-fashioned whenever you want it. Um, there's going to be a little extra, you know, when you're pouring it back into the bottle though, because you added the volume with the syrup or whatever. It's like a little, you know, treat for the chef, you know, like a little chef snack. Um, I love yeah. a chef snack. <laughs> so pretty much all you got to do in that situation is just have the old fashioned readily available, have some glasses, some ice, and then people can just go up pour however much old fashioned they want, throw a cherry or like an orange slice. And then there you go. They have a great cocktail. That's super easy. And it took probably 20 minutes of prep time ahead of time for your little shindig. So there you go. That's the first one. Next up, we've got the classic margarita. Ooh, that you got over there. Ooh, so tasty. You've been sipping a lot of it over Mm -hmm. there. Um, But yeah, this is, um, I believe it's the most popular drink in the world, or at least the most ordered drink in the world. Yeah, I think it is really popular. Yeah, it's up there. Um, I think the old-fashioned is, because whiskey has 
gained a lot of steam in the last like decade or so. I think old fashions might be chasing it down. Um, but anyways, yeah, this one is very popular because it's, you know, tart, refreshing, and, you know, mm-hmm. this would be a good contrast at your party from the old fashioned. Right. Well, and I think whiskey doesn't necessarily only feel like a drink for like old men who own horses anymore. Like, I think it's a drink everyone feels like they can drink now, but I feel like before mm-hmm. it was just stereotypical, like handlebar mustache smells like cigars type of guy drink. Mm-hmm. For sure. And that's, I don't know how it's marketed mostly. <laughs> mostly it is. Yeah. But I feel mm-hmm. like it is more accessible and like more widely marketed now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's also why I usually try to make like, you know, approachable whiskey cocktails that, you know, I put on my menu and stuff. Um, because I don't know, like some people are like, oh, I really want to try whiskey, but you know, I don't like old fashions or, you know, I don't want to drink it neat or on the rocks or anything. And so I don't know if you had like some juices to it or, you know, some fruit, other stuff, juices. other ingredients, some juices. Um, yeah, I feel like you can make like some really good drinks that kind of, cause there's a lot of flavors in whiskey that oh, aren't yeah. just like, you know, cigar and tobacco no, and, to and me, leather and whatnot. Whiskey tastes like Christmas. Like, which is interesting because Christmas, I think like, you know, herbs and pine and i don't even know no, to me it's like spicy in the way that like i feel like it would be spicy to like i don't know have a little See, smooch that's with more Santa. like a thanksgiving or something like you know cinnamon really? and nutmeg and yeah because mm. i think like you know i don't know like you know apple pie pumpkin pie like you know you get like fall spice desserts around thanksgiving and that's what i would think is like those kind of fall spices are what i associate with whiskey more yeah but um, but I mean, there's also like certain whiskeys that have like more dried fruit and more like you know, I don't know, raisiny flavors and like a fruit cake, like a fruit cake. I guess I've never even eaten a fruit. Cake. You've never had fruit cake? Highly doubt it, but maybe I have. We should make one because I feel like when they're homemade and fresh, they're actually pretty tasty. Mm. Um, this is everyone's gonna hate on this opinion. I just know it, but like, trust me, y'all, it makes you feel like you're Tiny Tim, like at Christmas in like 1870. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I don't think fruitcake will be my speed, but if maybe, I don't know, if you have a really good recipe. I'll find one. <laughs> yeah, please do. Um, so anyways, where was I going with that? Um, so yeah, usually you shake um, a margarita because you're supposed to shake anything with juices. Um, that way it gets mixed better because all those ingredients are different densities. Um, but anyways, we can still make like a really good one that, you know, we can prep ahead of time that doesn't need to be shaken, you know, to order or whatever. So... My base recipe, which is the one you got there, is uh, two ounces of, you know, a nothing fancy tequila. I usually use like Lunazul Blanco or something um, just because as long as you're using like fresh lime juice, I don't think the, you know, the actual quality of the tequila matters all that much. As long as you're using like, you know, regular like 100% like Blue Weber Agave tequila, you know, you're not using like Jose Cuervo or something that's fake. Did you say Blue Arababi? Blue Weber Agave? Oh, that's not what it sounded like to me. Are you sure? Blue Abba Agave. We're going to have to roll that back. I'm pretty I sure know. I said Blue Weber Agave. That sounds like a tongue twister to me. Not to me. Blue Weber <laughs> Agave. I, I can't say, say it. it. I say it like 10 times a week probably. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So two ounces of um, just a solid quality tequila. Um, three quarters of an ounce of either triple sec or Cointreau or Grand Marnier. Um, depends on, you know, how much you like the people you can do all the <laughs> way up to Grand Marnier or yeah. just do like a classic triple, triple sec, sec, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, um, well, yeah, any kind of orange liqueur. So 
that's kind of your ingredient that you kind of like mix up. So if you want to do like a coconut margarita, you can do like coconut liqueur or something. But Ooh, anyways, um, and then one ounce of fresh lime juice. That's the most important thing. Bless you over there. And then a quarter ounce of agave nectar. So again, if we're going to scale it for, you know, 12 cocktails, you're going to be doing the 24 ounces of the base spirit tequila, 12 ounces of lime juice, nine ounces of triple sec, and three ounces of agave. Um, so we're also going to cheat the uh, shaking step by adding about 40% of the volume um, of the total cocktail in water. So um, basically anytime you shake a drink, what you're doing is you're getting it cold and then you're shaking up the ice, you're breaking it up, and then that ice is melting and it's going into the drink causing dilution. Otherwise, everyone's drink would be, you know, super strong, yeah, too strong, and it would be too pronounced. So the water, you know, helps kind of mute the flavors and make sure everything's well balanced and, you know, cohesive, basically. So anyways, um, you're going to have roughly 48 ounces, I believe, of liquid in this mixture. So you're going to add 19 ounces of water to this. So you obviously want to use filtered water, um, just put it into a big um, sealable jar or container. And then this you will have to put in the fridge. So you can't put in the freezer because it's too low proof that it would actually freeze eventually. But pop it into the fridge. That way it is already chilled. It is diluted, nice and cold for you. And honestly, whenever you're ready to serve it, just grab the whole jar. Give it a little shake. That way the you know agave isn't stuck at the bottom or anything. Mm -hmm. And then just pour it over ice and you're good to go. Easy as that. It's basically like you know a fresh margarita that all you had to do was pour. Thank you, people. Thank, Thank you. you. I think they loved it. I yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then just add like a little lime wedge or something. Um, and yeah. So, third up on my third and final on my cocktail list, I'm still working out the kinks with this recipe. Okay. But it is everyone's favorite, the punch bowl. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. I've actually never done my own like alcoholic punch bowl. Oh my gosh, but, my grandma um, has a punch bowl that she's going to give us, like an, a vintage punch mm -hmm. bowl with like glasses and stuff. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Lucky us. I know. That? We can put it in our, our cabinet of glassware. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, speaking of which, did you ever like um, have like at the middle school dance or something like a big punch bowl or anything? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I didn't go to like any of my school dances, but Aww. I don't know. I would have taken you. Oh, I bet you would have. If to, I had known you. eighth grade dance. Um, <laughs> I would have been in sixth grade, so it would have been a big scandal. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh I would have been really oh, cool. she pulled an older classman. Ooh. Ooh. Upperclassman. Whatever. Both. Both are true. <laughs> Um, so anyways, yeah, um, a classic punch bowl usually has like, you know, vodka and then like store-bought Hawaiian punch and like some other juices and stuff and gives you like a really bad headache and, uh, yeah, so, but I've been workshopping a recipe that would put all those, you know, internet recipes to shame and, um, I think I've already commented maybe last week on my dislike for vodka and cocktails because it's like, I think so. Yeah. It's just like a neutral spirit. It doesn't um, add much flavor. Exactly. It doesn't bring anything to the party. It just, it needs to be built around. So for my punch bowl, I would be using some rum. Ooh, tasty. That's right. Cause rum is flavorful, you know, yes, brings a lot to the party, has some natural sweetness, all that good stuff and different flavors. There's so many different kinds of rum. Um, so for so when you are doing stuff with like a lot of juices and like a lot of you know you know sugar basically you would do like kind of like a higher proof drink that way you can use or higher proof rum that way you use like less of it and it still kind of comes through and you can you know taste it for the most part 
So um, I would probably recommend using Lemon Heart 151 rum, which is, you know, very boozy. It's 151 proof, just as it sounds. But, you know, you'd only use like an ounce of it. That way it's, you know, bringing alcohol to the party, you know, getting everyone a little tipsy. But you can still like, you know, taste it and it's not going to get, you know, knocked out, out yeah. by the other stuff. Um, and yeah, and uh, if that's a little too scary for you, you can obviously just use like, you know, Malibu coconut rum or something. Rum Haven, you know, some light Rum Haven. Rum Haven is good. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's not even technically rum. I think it's just like a coconut liqueur mixed with like coconut water because it's not high enough proof. It makes to be sense why rum. I like it so much. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. But, um, oh God, I got lost there. Oh, um, sorry. Oh, yeah. We're only using an ounce of that. So, I think we would also, you know, obviously a punch bowl should be, I think like, you know, tropical and fun and juicy. So we'd add a little creme de coconut, probably half an ounce, then a half an ounce of passion fruit liqueur. Everyone likes passion fruit. It's delicious. Tasty. I don't know if I've I've had passion fruit. Uh, you might have. Remember that drink I made you yesterday? Oh, did that have passion fruit that in it? Passion then fruit yes, I've it. had passion yeah. fruit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, passion fruit's tasty. It tastes... Um, I don't know, a little like grapefruity sometimes. Yeah, like I thought it was grapefruit grapefruity in there. Flavor. Mm -hmm. Well, there was grapefruit in there too, but that's why. What they, a refined palate. That's right. They're a good combination, so I put them in there. Um, so yeah, half an ounce of that. Do like an ounce and a half of OJ, ounce and a half of pineapple juice, and then a half an ounce of lime juice, and then maybe like a little grenadine. Um, you can do homemade grenadine, which is a uh, pomegranate syrup, for those that don't know. A lot of people think it's cherry, but it's yeah, not. Yeah, because that's what they have the... And Shirley Temples, right? And it's grenadine. It's pomegranate. Yeah, I know. But then you put cherries in the Shirley Temple. That's just so the kids can, I don't know, stop crying. They get a little dessert snack at the end of their sugary drink. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. Do you like Shirley Temples? I love Shirley Temples. Terrible. Come on. What? Baby. You're better than that. No, I'm not. That. I'm trash. You're not better. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> um. So, anyways, yeah. Um. So basically, you know, we got a lot of flavors going on, a lot of different ingredients, but everything kind of adds its own little unique flavor to the party. And it all, you know, comes balanced and just, you know, cohesive, nice and together. Everyone has fun at the drink party. That's right. <laughs> um, so anyways, to scale this up, we're going to go 18 ounces of our rum. We're going to do six ounces of our creme de coconut. six ounces of our passion fruit, 18 ounces of orange juice, 18 ounces of pineapple, six ounces of lime, and then roughly three ounces of grenadine. So honestly, for this, you just pile everything into a, you know, glass punch bowl. You can add a little ice, but you don't need to because you'll just have, you know, cups, solo cups with ice on the side or whatever. And then just a big old ladle that way people can just scoop and serve uh, at their so, own leisure. I love that. That'll be so fun. I feel like punch is so good for the holidays too. Yeah, for sure. Which mm -hmm. we're about to enter into spooky season in like a month. Two, two months. It's August, babe. September spooky season? Yeah, September, October, November. No, October is spooky season. No, baby. No. There's it's, one spooky uh, season. No, there's it's one not. month out of the it's year. It's three whole months. Um, That's absurd. That's just fall. Fall doesn't... The fall spooky, spooky season, season can't claim all of fall. Babe, it's a season. <laughs> That's not how it works. That's how it works. Okay, if you say so. Um, but yeah, there you go. That's pretty much it. Those are my three back. No, I love it, and I feel like sorry, uh, I struggled a little bit there, but yeah, that's okay. Uh, we'll we'll pass over it. Um, <laughs> no, I love that, and I feel like it's really good because you're hitting all the markets there. 
like mm-hmm. people who like spicy mm, ooh la la brown sugar, mm-hmm. classic margs yep, people. Nice and tart, refreshing. Yeah. And then nice old sweet punch bowl. Sweet punch bowl. I'm a sweet punch bowl person, personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just feels very festive to carry around your tiny glass cup with your little drink inside. <laughs> That's right. Incredible. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think I think it was a it was a good topic, and I I know we've gotten some feedback from some of the listeners that they really like when you go deep dive into like drink and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, maybe next episode I'll do a deep dive on like a specific drink, find the history, the history of it. That would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll check it out. We'll we'll give it a little peekaroony. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, next party that um that you're at. Try to try to batch out a cocktail. See yeah. what the see what the guests say, people. I know. Seriously, batch it out and then let us know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, I'm going to check and see if we have any listener stories that have been submitted. Oh my gosh, lots of TikTok notifications. No. Um. Oh wait. No. No, we have none. <laughs> Dang. Some person was reaching out to us, seeing if we wanted to advertise on their website. Um. No thank no you. No thank you. We're poor. all the advertisements poor. we need. They yeah. can you can pay us to advertise yeah, your website for advertising on, on our podcast. On Brody's Midnight Cafe. That's right. Yes, one hundred percent. That's how advertising works. I know. Seriously. Anyways, um, we're thank you for making it through the episode with us. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Please uh, subscribe, like. You know, if you like us a lot, give us a five-star rating. Then we'll give Brody a treat. We'll give Brody a treat for every five-star rating. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That'll be a lot of treats. That'll be a lot of treats, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> and as always, um, please send us in your listener stories uh, to Brody's Midnight Cafe at gmail.com. Um, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok. Um, we have a Twitter, I think. I don't have a Twitter. I, I think we have one. I just don't think we've used it yet. I, I mean, we need to it. use it. Okay. Well, it's not Twitter anymore, but. <laughs> on X. <laughs> on X. Find us on X. I don't like that. Um, <laughs> no one does. Well, we're just going to delete it then if it's not Twitter anymore. <laughs> and okay. Maybe not. Okay. But anyways, thank y'all for listening. Thank you so much. And we're out. And we're out.